God calls for we Christians to be intercessors in our communities. Destruction is heading our way and our prayers are needed. Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you're looking for a place to give that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, then consider CPE, will you? You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, or breadoflifeboise.org. A prayer that will strategically place us in the breach to hold back the destruction that's coming upon our land must be a prayer for lost people with the intent of the one praying of winning them to Christ. Our lesson today is a review of what we've learned already from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, before we move on to consider the holiness that God is calling for in those who pray in the church. Paul writes this, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And I have to stop right here for just a moment. Our theme this message is going to be on personal and corporate holiness. And as we come to this idea of living holy lives, obedient, submissive, Christ-filled lives, we have to understand why we're going to that place. We're not going there in order to gain salvation. We're not going there to seek and gain God's favor or God's acceptance. He accepts us by faith in His Son, whom we received as our Savior. And at that moment, God covered us in all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our lives of holiness are not us grappling with and trying to somehow gain God's attention, God's favor, God's acceptance. We have it in the Son. Our holiness and our life of holiness is an expression of our thanksgiving for what He's given us. It's an expression of the joy and delight that we have in His salvation. So when we read this and we come to the idea of holiness, it's born out of our thanksgiving of what we've already received in Him. Go back. Therefore, I exhort first of all that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I am appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let's review what we talked about last week very quickly, or I'll try to make it as quick as I can. We took four points. First, we pointed out from this passage that God desires in every place that he should find his people and the church at prayer. God desires in every place that he should come and find us at prayer. There is an identity in the church. There is something about us. We are the household of faith, and we are the house of God, and in his house, what he wants to know is that this is a house of prayer. And we're a people of prayer, and he finds us praying. Second, we understood that the prayer that God is calling for us to pray 
Is that prayer pursuing the salvation of lost souls? We should be able to see that all of our prayers align to this end and this goal. We should see that as we pray and we supplicate, those are those prayers we make when we're in points of crisis, as there is just normal prayer that he calls for, which is the daily prayer that we make for our needs. As we come before God and we intercede, that is when we pray on behalf of others, even as we render our praise and thanksgiving to God, that all of these things somehow align themselves in some strategic direction to seek the salvation of lost men and women. That means when we pray for a person who's sick, when we pray that the Lord might raise them off their sickbed, when we pray for a person who's facing some economic trial in their life and needs to find a new job or new employment or a person who is caught up in a moment of anxiety or they're in the midst of a trial of a relational tensions in their lives within our fellowship. When we pray for one another, we ought to somehow locate those prayers and what we're seeking from God for each one of us as individuals in some way that we give justification for our prayers and that, oh God, through all this be glorified and oh God, through this exalt your son and oh God, through this enliven and empower us to believe and trust in you and your salvation alone and that we might bring that salvation to others. Everything is praying in that direction. We should be watching strategically the lives of people and following those lives to see how as we tend over those lives in prayer, we might be praying through the obstacles and barriers and insults and temptations and trials of their life in order that through them all they might be guided to see God and God's salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to see in our prayers. He's designing us to be a people of prayer and that our prayers might be the pursuit of the salvation of individuals, that they might come to God and worship Him and glorify Him and rejoice and live in His saving grace. The third thing is, God calls us to pray because God has decreed to work through our prayers. God has decreed to work through our prayers to establish an environment for a greater response to His gospel. Our prayers and our lives of obedience can positively change the outcomes of human history. And our lack of prayer and our unresponsiveness to God's desire to pray will do the exact opposite. For better or worse, the world is impacted when the church prays and when the Christian prays. And it's impacted when the church does not pray and the Christian does not pray. The fourth thing we said was this. It was just a reemphasis of these ideas. Our prayer, your prayer, if we could see it and understand it and believe it, does impact real changes by the hand of God in our world. We emphasize that we're being called to do something that activates the hand of God to those causes that He Himself holds dear. God has given us prayer so that we don't just fatalistically stand by and passively watch the world play out around us, but that we engage it. Prayer cultivating the outcomes through our prayers of human society. And God has, the all-powerful, all-sovereign God has decreed that this would be the case. We closed out by looking at some different verses, and one of the verses we looked at was Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 30 and 31. I'd like to read it to you again. Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 30 and 31. There, God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, explaining why it is that judgment has fallen upon Judah and they've been taken away into captivity in Babylon, gives the final explanation for this. There are the sins of the people. There's the ongoing sins of the people resisting God, but the final outcome is found. The final breaking point is found for this reason that God gives. God says, I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap 
before me for the land. I sought an intercessor to stand in the gap and pray for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, says the Lord God. If you understand that, we would understand that we, the church, stand in the gap, praying for God to work in our world in such a way to increase the opportunities to proclaim the gospel and bring lost people to our Savior and King. And in such a way, we preserve as salt, we preserve the decay, the decay and the judgment that is coming upon this world because of its rebellion and sin. We are, in a sense, the final breaking point from life into judgment. Our prayers are, and so God calls us to pray. We ended our message by looking at Exodus chapter 17 and the story of the Israelites as they were wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land and the Amalekites have come against the Israelites to seek to destroy them and Joshua takes the armies of Israel to go out and meet the armies of the Amalekites and under the instruction of Moses he goes into the battle and Moses tells Joshua, now I'm going to go up on this hill and with the rod of God and I'm going to intercede for you as you battle and Moses goes up on that hill and he raises up his the rod of God in prayer, and as he prays, and as his rod is lifted up, the armies of Israel, who are not a people accustomed to war, they go out with sticks, and they go out with pieces of wood, and they go out with limited devices for war to fight the Amalekites, a people of war. And, but as the prayer is lifted up and the rod is lifted up, the Israelites prevail against the Amalekites. But as, as Moses wearies and his arms come down, the Amalekites get the better hand, and they get the momentum in the fight. Two men go over and see this taking place and they raise up the arms of Moses as he prays and the fight is won by the Israelites. And we said, now this story has not been given to us so we can entertain ourselves. It's not just a children's story. It's given so that we can be educated and understand God's will and God's purpose for our lives. And it's this. The battle is won in prayer. The battle is won in prayer. Tides of good and evil turn on our prayer and lack thereof. Key moments of national rescue will one day be attributed plainly to the prayer of God's people interceding for their land and moments of great catastrophe and destruction will also reveal that no one was standing in the gap. And so we ended our message last week with this call to pray and this was our consideration. Just simply this, that we are to pray and that we are to pray strategically and we are to pray after the passion of God to see all men saved and we're to pray our prayers founded upon this one doctrinal truth that there is only one way of salvation. It's through Jesus Christ alone. So our strategic prayer based upon and flowing out of the passion of God's own heart and flowing or built upon this great, wonderful doctrine and truth is how we're to pray. And this is what we're to be doing. And this is what God wants to find us doing. He says, I desire that in every place the men should pray. Every place that he finds a gathering of the body of Christ and the people of God, he wants to find us at prayer. But today we have to go on. And we have to read on to see that in this same verse, it's, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, that Paul adds a condition to our prayers. He says, lifting up holy hands. Even if we pray, and even if we pray strategically for the right things, and even if we pray without an expression of God's own desire to see men saved and come to the knowledge of truth, and even if we pray with the right doctrine guiding us, knowing that there is only one mediator between God and men, Jesus Christ, who has given himself as a ransoming sacrifice for their sins, 
Even if we pray with the right knowledge, even if we pray with the right desire, even if we pray strategically in the right way, if we don't pray in holiness, if we cannot pray lifting our lives and our hands up before God in our prayers and holiness, our prayers will fail. They will not accomplish what God has designed for them to do. The passage says, lifting up holy hands. Lifting up holy hands. Now, if you go through your Bible, you'll find that there are all kinds of different postures that individuals took when they prayed. And so, it's not the posture so much that's being emphasized here. Not that we have to pray with our hands lifted up. There are times when men got on their face before God and they laid on the ground low and they bowed their heads. And there are other times when you'll find them on their knees before God, praying and seeking God. And there are other times when they're beating their chest and praying before God. But the prayer has to be issued out of a life of holiness. Our prayers must rise from holy hands and holy lips to a holy God. And here's the first thing I want you to consider this morning. This is true. This is necessary. Because prayer is how we battle against the enemy. This is true and this is necessary because prayer is how we battle against the enemy. We read in our scripture reading today, Ephesians 6. There we saw that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the spiritual powers in heavenly places. Ultimately, we wrestle against the God of this age, Satan himself. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.